0: We are, we are a blessed people, amen? Yes, we are. And uh, I again want to say good morning to everyone and also to those online, welcome. We're glad you're with us and we know you're part of our community as well. And uh, we've been in a series uh, called Imagine and just talking about imagining uh, the life that we can live in God and how we can only imagine that, and we're trying to talk about some different things around that. If you missed last week, Doug and Adele Calhoun were here with us, and they talked about imagining yourself. You're going to want to check that out if there's any other weeks. Uh, we talked about imagining the extraordinary in our life a couple of weeks ago, but check those out if you've missed any of them. Today I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes about imagining focus, imagining focus, so I want to jump right into the scripture here in Matthew chapter 14 and you guys can read it along with me or not. It's up to you. If you, if you feel good about reading it out loud, you go for it. Um, if not... I'll I'll be loud enough for all of us. Anyway, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Let's just stop there so I can frustrate everybody's reading with me and um, just tell you when it says immediately, this is immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. So let's read it some more. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You have little faith. There are times, actually, Jesus says it's all you need is a little faith. So I will mention that here because it might be an important thing to consider that Peter is one of only two people in history that I'm aware of that walked on the water. So let's give him some credit. I just want to to focus on one part, one one statement in the Scripture and talk to you for a couple minutes about focus. But when... He saw the wind. Say that after me, would you? But when he saw the wind. One more time. But when he saw the wind. He was distracted by the wind. It's interesting. Um, Claire calls me Alfred sometimes. uh, And there's a reason for that. I have a grandfather. His name is Charles Alfred Lorridge. And my my grandfather and grandmother, they traveled a lot. They loved to, to get out into nature and uh, my grandfather had a reputation. Stories may be true, or maybe embellished, maybe certainly all of them probably exaggerated. Um, but but uh, there was a story of my grandfather driving across the Mackinac Bridge pulling a trailer, and um, he loved because he had spent part of his career for Texas Oil Company on Lake Superior in oil in an oil tanker. Um, But anyway, he loved boats, he loved ships, so of course when you're going across the Mackinac Bridge at times you see some ships, so he loved to watch the ships. And uh, my grandmother, uh, who I don't think was a liar, um, she, uh, I don't have any evidence of that, she said that he was on his way over the side of of the Mackinac Bridge because he was watching ships. And anyway, I wasn't there. It probably is true, but they have those high embankments, just for those of you that are concerned when you go over the Mackinac Bridge or anywhere else. So anyway, she would yell out Alfred. But I do know this. There were other times she yelled out Alfred because he was a distracted driver. Now, he wasn't a texter. There was no texting back then, but he had other things. I'm really, at times, a distracted driver. Therefore, Claire calls me Alfred. Get the connection? Anyway... Alfred, uh, that's what Claire calls me. She pulls that out whenever she needs to get me to go back in the lane. And usually it is when I'm watching ships or animals out in a field. Not so much texting because she usually takes my phone from me when I'm driving. But, uh so I can't text. But the point in driving is to keep your eye on the road, right? The point in driving is to Drive not to watch ships go under the Mackinac Bridge or stay out. The question for us today is how are we doing about focusing our life on, most importantly, Jesus? Peter here begins to sink when he shifts his focus off of Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? And the NIV actually is pretty literal here because some versions say it was when Peter saw the waves that he began to sink. But most literal, it's when... Peter saw the wind. It was Peter seeing the invisible that got distracted. And many times in our life, we don't need to see things literally with our eyes. It's the things invisible many times in our lives that distract us from focusing on the things that God has called us to pay most attention to. Which makes me want to just remind all of us to keep our eyes on what matters most. It's important First of all, to determine what matters most. And I would easily, I think we would have a consensus in the room that there's nothing more important than keeping our eyes, our focus on Jesus and not being distracted from that. When he saw the wind, Peter took his eyes off of what mattered most. He lost focus. John Ortberg says this, he says, For many, uh, for many the great danger is not that we will we will renounce our faith, it is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of our faith. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living into them. The Bible talks a lot about focus when you think about it. It's just, I could go on and on and on, but just a couple of examples of that. Moses, it says when he turns, he turns aside to see the bush that's burning, His life changes as God speaks to him in that moment, right? You might remember in John chapter 4 when the woman at the well is speaking with Jesus and after that conversation she goes into town and literally leads them all to a life in Christ and she starts the conversation with them by saying, come and see. In other words, have focus on something you've never focused before. Jesus, uh, it is said of Jesus near the end of his life that he set his gaze he set his sights on jerusalem getting ready for the cross so that's what became central focus for jesus give us this day our daily bread give us this day everybody say that this day this day give us focus god give us focus on this day let us not pass up what you're trying to do in us on this day And then, of course, in Acts, early in the book of Acts, Peter and John tell a guy sitting at the gate, beautiful, um, who is begging for money, Peter says to him, look at us. He wants focus, and the guy gives him focus, and then he says, I don't have any silver or gold, we don't have any of that, but what we do have, we give to you. And he prays for them, they pray for him, and the guy gets healed, right? Many of you might even be thinking about kind of the converse of that is the story of Martha and Mary. And um, Jesus says to Martha, as she's busy serving, actually doing good things, distracted by good things. Has that ever happened to you? Jesus says, Martha, you're distracted by many things. But Martha, or Mary has chosen the better part. So what we want to talk about and what we want to kind of focus on is the better part keeping our focus on what matters most. Peter saw the wind. See, what happens in distraction is it breaks connection, especially when it comes to relationship. When we are distracted, when you're distracted, when I'm distracted, it breaks the connections we so long to have in our lives, and it certainly breaks our connection with Jesus. There's the technical distractions of our lives, right? It's said that um, people that study this say that on average, depending on your demographic, Americans see 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements per day. We look at our phone 2,617 to 5,000 times in a day. And if you have an Apple Watch, I don't have that number, but I have been with some folks that have Apple Watches that tell me or, whatever kind of watch that buzzes on your wrist. Because the reason I pay attention to it is because Claire and I've talked about it. maybe that would be great. And we've had friends of ours that have said, oh, it is really great. But then we've been with some of our friends that are like this, because every time they turn their wrist, it turns it on. And I'm like, well, that's just more distraction for me. We have to live with this. This is an important part of our lives, right? I'm not going to tell you to go get rid of your phone or your computer or go get rid of your iWatch or whatever you have like that, but we have to pay attention to what we focus most on because we are so distracted and we have so many temptations for distractions. Have you ever been at a restaurant and it's, it's like you, you are looking around the room and you're, you're enjoying the company that is with you. And you look around and you see that couple. This just happened to Claire and I the other day. Saw this young couple that sat down a little bit after us. We were sitting next to this beautiful lake having dinner. And they spent probably three quarters of their di- dinner on the phone, not talking or looking at each other. It's, in a way, heartbreaking. Now, some of us say, well, I'm not really distracted. I'm just a multitasker. Well, that's a myth. Your brain is not wired to be a multitasker. That is actually a term that IBM created for a computer. Computers can multitask. You can't. The average office worker in America spends almost just short of six hours a workday, six hours a workday, in other words, one out of four hours of their day, not just work, but almost six hours, so a quarter of the day, sleeping or awake, doing emails. The average person that wouldn't consider themselves an office worker, just so you don't feel like you got off the hook, you might be spending one out of six minutes during the work week on email. Those are distractions. They're a reality. I would just admonish all of us to keep Focus on what matters most. You have to keep doing your job. You have to keep connected. You, you, this is a part of our lives, but focus on what matters most. If we're not careful, we're paying more attention to the wind than we're paying attention to Jesus, and our life begins to slowly sink into a place that we don't want it to. How about people? People can distract, right? Now, again, I'm not going to tell you to not be around people. People are important. Look at the people near you and say, you're important to me, right? Community is absolutely critical, but then there's the distraction of people, right? If COVID has shown us nothing else, it's shown us this intense distraction that people can be. So there's, there's good, healthy community, then there's these, these just distractions of people, their opinions, their demands, their defending, their complaining. How much of your life are you spending on defending, complaining, or arguing with other people? How much attention are you giving to your critics and their opinions and their positions that will never change? This is a distraction. This is looking at the wind. These are unworthy fights. When Peter saw the wind, he began to sink. See, people want to box you in. You have people in your life. I have people in my life. We all have people. There's opinions out there. The house I grew up in, we weren't Christ followers early on. There was a, there was a, um, saying that we had in the house about opinions, because people want opinions to kind of box you in to the way they want you to live, and your responsibility is not to live by the opinions of men and women. Your responsibility is to be focused on Jesus and live by what Jesus is saying to you to do and to live into. You got it? Otherwise, it becomes a distraction, People, without even knowing it, we try to box each other into things. We try to make demands on each other. And we try to change each other in an unworthy way. Now, I say that at the same time with it's important to have dialogue. It's important, it's critical that we have communication with one another, that we have discussions. But if you know you're being manipulated by people's opinions, and you turn on, all you got to do is turn on Facebook, right? It's, a, it's an opinion it's a thousand opinions a second can come your way. Some of them are good, many of them aren't. Anyway, back to my house growing up. Yeah, we had this saying, actually my dad had this saying. He says, you know, opinions, they are like blank. Everyone has one and generally they stink. Now you fill in the blanks. And yes, this is Sunday morning. Anyway, people can distract, right? I heard this story about this grandfather. He was taking one of his grandkids into town. So he saddled up the donkey, and they started to go into town. And the grandfather put the grandchild on the donkey, and they're walking. And sure enough, this group of people came by, and he said, Look at that selfish child on that donkey, and that grandfather has to walk. So you know, they they heard that, and they reconfigured. The grandfather said, well, I'll get on the donkey. So he gets on the donkey, and the child's pulling the, you know, walking next to the donkey, and another group of people come by, and he's, look at that. Look at that old man. He's on that donkey, and that poor kid's got to walk next to him. So they heard that, and anyway, they talked it over, and down, or the grandfather picks up the grandchild, and they're both on the donkey now, and they're riding down into town, the two of them, and another group of people come in. It's, how cruel for those two people to ride on that donkey into town! I mean, that's just cruel. So they kind of, you know, the people pass, they look at each other, and lo and behold, it wasn't long before they were carrying the donkey into town. <laughs> this is the point don't carry the donkey. Don't carry the donkey. Stop carrying the donkey. Listen, everyone has a right to their opinion, and you have a right not to take it. And then there's the preoccupation. There's the cares of the world that Jesus talks about, the clutter, the challenges of, of just rush and busyness and bills and concerns problems and worries and deadlines and hurts. This is the preoccupation challenge, which leads me into this last thing I want to mention to you. And it's what can happen to us is what Martin Seligman, a psychologist back in the 60s, uh, did a study, and he came up with this term. It was called learned helplessness. And learn the experiment started with dogs, but then it went into humans, and it's just this, in a nutshell, it's this tendency where if you have bad things or difficult things happen in your life where you can just begin to feel helpless. So because you can learn that, you then don't, don't, do anything about it. So here's one of the definitions of learned helplessness. It's not trying to get out of a negative situation or position because the past has taught you that you are helpless. In other words, take control of what you can. Peter does this. He starts to do this. He takes control by getting out of the boat. Now, let me also remind you that he wasn't distracted by the opinions of everybody else in the boat, right? He, he passed through that because their opinion was stay in the boat. He, he moved through that successfully. And when we come to this helplessness thing, Peter moves through this and he actually gets out of the boat. I want to say that instead of learned helplessness, Peter is walking in learned hopefulness. Now, at this point, I mentioned to you that we come right out of the story in Matthew 14. Matthew 13 kind of ends with the feeding of the 5,000. Well, that's in Matthew's account of what's going on. That isn't the first thing. That isn't the first miracle they've experienced. So many miracles by now. Now, remember, the book of Matthew in the first 14, 13 chapters, a big chunk of that is, first of all, the genealogy of Jesus. That's the first couple chapters and the birth. And then there's a few chapters in there just on the Beatitudes. So it's not even speaking about healing or anything in those uh, issues. But after the conversion of these folks that are in the boat, they've seen a child raised from the dead, by the time we come into this story. They've seen a paralytic healed. They have seen the demon-possessed uh, delivered. They've seen blind people healed. They've seen mute people healed. They have heard parables. They've listened to the Beatitudes. They've all gotten the same story. Peter somehow utilized this for hopefulness. And somehow, everybody else in the boat missed it. They were distracted and they were stuck in helplessness. Peter had learned that hopefulness creates a realistic optimism and that it is fertile ground for God to do something powerful. Paul would later say that we could do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Earlier, an angel had said nothing is impossible with God. Somehow, Peter had pushed through the helplessness of life and had begun to dwell on the hopefulness of Jesus. Now, what happens is because we get distracted, we're not paying attention to the things that can give us what I would call a realistic optimism. That when Jesus is is In the equation, which is always, it's an opportunity for the miraculous. We don't know how that's going to happen. We don't know how God can deliver us. We don't know how that we can move through that. But it gives us this hopefulness. So, how are you doing about giving space in your life to dream about what God is up to, possibly, for you? How are you doing about not letting... The distractions of life drive your life, but in order for you to get to this place that God has you going, how are you doing about making space to pay attention to the things that have already happened in a God way in your life and the things that may be about to happen? In the book, How to Think, like Leonardo da Vinci, Michael Gelb poses this amazing question and did a study on it. Where are you when you get your best ideas? Where are you? And I pose that question to you. Where are you? He has asked thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, over the years, where are you when you get your best ideas? It's interesting. The answers are the kind of answers you would think. In the shower, when I'm resting in bed walking in nature, listening to music, jogging, exercising, meditating, when I'm dreaming, when I'm on a beach, and it goes on, praying, journaling, when I'm with people, when I'm reading scripture. How about for you? Where are you when you get your best ideas? The interesting thing is almost no one offers the answer, I get my best ideas when I'm at work. He found that curious. Yet we, we think by working harder and being more connected to those things that distract us, that somehow the best that God has for us is going to occur. But study after study tells us that unless there's this what Gelb calls oscillation, moving into your work because we need to work. God created us to work, right? But then getting away from our work into those spaces where we're creative, where we can dream, where we can imagine. How about Peter? I got a hunch that Peter did a lot of creative dreaming on the water you might remember that when Jesus comes back after the resurrection Peter's again out on the water with some of the guys because Peter said I'm just going fishing because he was discouraged and doubtful and thought I don't know if Jesus will show up I think Jesus is dead so out to the water where dreams come true for Peter where his most creative, bold, energized self comes alive. And all of the sudden, Jesus shows up on the beach cooking breakfast and tells him how to fish. And it strikes Peter's mind, I've seen this before. Peter jumps out of, the wo- out of the boat, into the water. This time he doesn't walk on the water. He does everything he can to get to the shore, to be with the one who can walk on the water. Where is it that when you get away from the distractions of life, you're able to focus most on Jesus? And I would contend, and I would put before all of us, that making space for that place or those places or those experience may be one of the most important things in order for us to focus on Jesus that we can do. Mm-hmm. Where are you when you get your best ideas? Let's just think about that for a minute. Maybe write that down. Could be A few places, it could be a bunch of places. But let's make sure that we're making space to be focused on Jesus and the amazing way he created each one of us. Amen?
1: so if you'd like to get your communion elements ready at home or right here in the room so of course Scott and I whoever's speaking we we always try out our message on each other before we come here and Scott asked me where do you get your most creative ideas and I said well it's really interesting it's it's when I'm peopling
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, when I'm at church and, and singing with people it's like the collective effervescence for me and even you know um, I was raised in a church where um, we we took communion in, in the same way each and every week and that was blessed and graced but what happens for me is I'm peopling like the conversations I've had with people before church um, as we You know, as we're connecting, we've got um, folks online, which I just loved. You know, Rochelle Gamble sent me a note to tell you all where to buy that picture, so I'll have that on the Facebook page and available for folks if that was something you wanted. Um, I I think there's something really wonderful about coming together under one roof. I also love solitude, Um, and, and so rhythms of people... And alone are really important for me to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit that lives in me. And while we were talking about focus, and I was thinking about, you know, you're pointing out that Jesus set his focus on Jerusalem and knew that his mission was not yet finished. Like his mission was not just to do all the things that he did on the earth as he touched people and healed people, but there was something hard. The hardest part of his mission was ahead of him, and he set his sight on the hard part of his mission. And, and it's crazy to me because I think sometimes when I set my sights on the hard part of my mission, I love people... Um, more insufficiently, because I've got my sights on the hard part, right? But Jesus loved people even better, all the way to where His focus was, and maybe it does have something to do with that—that—that that, um, that piece of art. Maybe it does have something to do, because Jesus says, "For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross." despising the shame, knowing that there was laid up for him you, us, that there would be an ending to old rituals and violence and, and, um, and bias and prejudice, that Jesus was taking that to the cross, that he was saying no more Jew and Gentile, no more male and female, you remember that? That that's the breaking of the curse in the book of Galatians. There's no more of that separation. So what Jesus had his sight set on was you, was us. The focus was there is, there is something laid up. So when I, when I look at the opinions of people, like right within our own, you know, dearest ones, that are so over here and over here. And I think, oh, but this was the vision. This is the vision. The vision is, is that Jesus came to bring unity in diversity. That Jesus came to teach us how to listen to one another and respect one another and pray for one another and lift our voices together and take communion with people that don't agree with you. This is the vision, the focus of Jesus. And so I just want to confess to God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that my focus is not always that. So I just wonder if any of us could confess to God right here. God, would you forgive me and heal me and renew me? From when my focus is again, it's, it's not remembering what was done so that, for God so loved the world that. And maybe you could just open up your heart some way. I don't know if you want to stand, you can. If you could say, God, my heart is closed or constricted or judged or been opinionated. And I want to see the bigger picture. I want my sights to be set beyond time and space. I want to see what is beyond so that I can see who is for me and not who is against me. So go ahead and confess the ways you lose your sight. where you want the hammer to come down on one side or the other. And God, we ask that you would forgive us and heal us and cleanse us from all that keeps us from focusing on eternity and what is beyond time and space and issues. And that even as we face into these time, space, issues, That we would have a heart that is open to the way you see. And that we could bring your kingdom. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I invite you to pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven And even as we hold our daily bread, we remember that you took the bread and you lifted it up and you broke it and said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body given for you. And every time you eat, remember me. And Don, could we sing that little chorus you wrote today right here? judgments, biases, prejudices, insufficiencies, criticisms, all of the sins can be forgiven. And every time you drink it, declare that our hope is in you. Great is your faithfulness. And we just say together today as we pray that we want to remember that you have demonstrated faithfulness to us, that we're learning faithfulness from you. And even as we can still taste the bread and the wine on our lips, May we be people who actually bring this kind of gift to the world. The focus and hope, the remembering of Christ.
0: The scripture says in Hebrews 10:23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For He is faithful and promised. So everything that God said he would do, he's faithful in it. He will not fail in it. He's faithful in everything that he's promised. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Thou changest not thy compassion, they fail not. As thou hast to thou forever will be parted for sin. Has a peace that endure thy
1: own dear presence to
0: cheer. In.